I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. <laughs> Kia ora and welcome to the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. I am your host, Jordan. I am mum to two beautiful little boys, Jai and Ali. I also host the Your Birth Project online hypnobirthing course and the Mini Kiwis First Aid course for parents of under five-year-olds and I have an online store attached to Your Birth Project which encompasses everything pregnancy, birth and postpartum related so just absolutely love that side of the business. I'm also a very, very passionate storyteller and a lover of all things birth so hence why I am leading you on this podcast. I'm not an advocate for any particular type of birth or model of birth care. I am simply here to hold space for this platform for you to share your beautiful stories with us all. You'll hear stories of joy, of heartbreak, of love, of loss, and each family has a different experience to share. I'm trying to bring to light stories that we often only tell in the darkest of places or to our closest of friends, but really are so important for everybody to hear. So I hope that you love the podcast of these beautiful families all over Aotearoa and I will let you jump into the podcast now. Enjoy. In today's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales, I am speaking with Logan and he is taking us through a very interesting dad series episode. So bringing back the dad series, which is very exciting And if you are a person who is pregnant or you listen to this podcast just because you find it interesting, this is definitely going to be one that you want to listen to. Logan takes us through uh, his experience with infertility from a male perspective, which we don't hear very often. So I think it's yeah really great that Logan was willing to come on the podcast and share with us all about his experience with infertility and how he needed to advocate for himself and what that meant for him and his partner Charlie. They do end up falling pregnant and having a beautiful baby girl named Delilah so he does take us through Charlie's pregnancy and birth experience as well but I just think this is such an interesting episode. I learned so much. I know that you will too so if you've got a partner who's interested in hearing about pregnancy and birth or If you have a partner who might be experiencing some of the infertility symptoms that Logan talks about, make sure you listen to the episode, get them to listen to the episode because I know you're going to enjoy it. So let's jump in. Hey Logan, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hey, how's it going? Good, thank you. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about you and who is in your family? Yeah, sure. Um, So I'm based in Tauranga. I'm 28 and uh, my wife Charlie is 27 uh we got together back when we were 16 so we've been together for like 12 years which is crazy um and married for five years now i think yeah five years yep um so yeah and then we've got a little baby girl called delilah who's just gone five months cool and i just love um delilah's name she's very cute i just (laughs) looked at the little picture that you sent along with your submission she's just beautiful Awesome. And do you want to talk to us a little bit about what your journey was like to pregnancy as a couple? So what did that look like for you and Charlie? Yeah, awesome. Okay. Um, I'll probably have to jump back a few years here because it's been Mm -hmm. quite a long journey. Um, And I'll be talking quite a bit about hormones, mainly male hormones and fertility. So I'll probably just say a quick provisor that I'm not a medical practitioner. I can only talk to my own experience. Um, It might differ in different regions and you should always talk to any medical professional yourself or anything like this. And um, I'll probably, I'll try and be completely candid about the whole experience. (laughs) Um, So yeah, cool. Uh, So pretty much back in 2016, uh, I was about 21 years old and just had really like low energy and I needed lots of naps and stuff like that. Um, low libido just wasn't a good time and then Charlie my wife recommended I went to the GP I was pretty reluctant at first but then ended up going 
uh, and they took some bloods and it came back that I had low testosterone. So we had a bunch of bloods from there, which then confirmed that my testosterone was really low for a 21 year old guy. Uh, So then I had to go get an MRI where they scan your head, the big boom, boom, boom machine. (laughs) Um, And they found I had a compressed pituitary gland, which I had a really bad head injury when I was a kid. And then I was also, I got a pretty decent concussion. Uh, I I was in a car crash in my late teenage years. So um, they think maybe that caused it. They're not hundred percent sure, but pretty much for people that don't know, the pituitary gland sends out the signals that then produce all the hormones in your body as a real uh, layman's explanation of it. (laughs) Um, So yeah, they diagnosed me as hypogonadal, which basically means that my pituitary gland was working for like other stuff, but when testosterone gets low, so like I'll do a quick little hormone lesson. Um, For guys, they start the morning with like really high testosterone and then throughout the day it gets progressively lower. And then by bedtime, they have low testosterone, they sleep, and then the brain's like, oh, testosterone's low. Let's produce more. And then it restarts the next day as high testosterone. Mm -hmm. Because my gland was pressed down, that part that happens at nighttime never happened or it was happening very poorly. So I wasn't producing overnight. And so I would start the day with low testosterone. Uh, so then after lots of different like appointments and stuff, I managed to get a endocrinologist appointment. I went and saw this lovely lady there who was awesome. And she did recommend going on testosterone replacement therapy, which is basically you inject testosterone into your body. And then in doing that, your body stops producing testosterone at all naturally, because pretty much the body is always trying to be efficient and if mm. testosterone is coming from somewhere else, then it's not going to produce it itself because it thinks, why would I? It's already coming in. But the downside of that is that most men go infertile within 12 months because the part of the body that makes testosterone is your testes. And then when they stop making testosterone, mm. at the same time, they say, if we're not making testosterone, why would we make sperm? So they yeah. don't make sperm either. So most men go infertile within 12 months of treatment. So interesting. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it was pretty um, devastating, to be honest, hearing it, because mm. Charlie was with me as well. And, you know, we both always wanted kids. And, like, it was this weird thing where I was I was so relieved, like, oh, there is actually something wrong with me. Mm. That's why I'm so tired. I'm not just this lazy person. Yeah. But then the catch is, oh, if you want to go on this, then you can't have kids. And it's like, mm. oh, like, what do you what do? You do? Yeah. Um, yes, that that was pretty, uh, pretty heavy. But mm. then... I pretty much just thought, ah, it's not worth it. I'm just going to put it off. So I just put it off and didn't do it and decided I'll just eat really well. I won't drink and I'll take vitamins because zinc and things like that are meant to help up your testosterone. So I thought I would do it that way. Um, And then I tried that for like about three years and jumping ahead from there for about three years, I tried that way. But um, the endocrinologist and my GP wanted to monitor my bloods because if you have low testosterone, you also, so men have estrogen as well as testosterone. Estrogen's normally like thought of as a female hormone, but men need it as well. And estrogen uh, protects your bones and makes them, basically it keeps them strong. And that's why when um, women go through menopause, they often get osteoporosis because mm-hmm. their bones aren't protected by estrogen anymore. Mm-hmm. So me being a young guy of low testosterone and thus low estrogen, I was at risk of lower bone density. It's crazy, all the stuff you never know about until no way. you find out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, because I'd chosen not to go on treatment, I had to have regular bloods. And then once a year, they had to, like, basically scan my bones to see that I was all good. Um, and then, yeah, by I think it was about the end of 2018, so it's been just over three years, I've had blood tests, like, every three months, and it's just a downward trend of lower and lower testosterone. So it's not getting any better no matter what I do. Um, for, for reference, so like, uh, they measure testosterone and the, the range is between nine M mole to 30 M mole. So nine to 30 and like, uh, say, a 18 year old, maybe even a 16 year old at peak testosterone would be like a 30. And then a 65 year old retired guy would be like a nine mm-hmm. and I was a five. So wow. at five, I was like, 
like a really old man pretty much, just no <laughs> testosterone at all. Yeah, um, yeah so, so not a good time. Um, and at that point, like my libido is completely gone. I'm just mm. tired all the time. And then I started to feel quite depressed as well. I was just like, just low, a little bit hopeless, you know, it just felt like it wasn't, wasn't going great. Yeah. Um, yeah, which was rough. And then there's this pressure of if you fix it, then you lose the ability to have kids, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like this constant battle of what to do. But after heaps of talks with Charlie, we just like accepted that I had to, had to go on treatment. It wasn't getting any better no matter what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, so then a new process started of, okay, if I'm going on treatment, what can we do so that we can still have kids? We were too young then still. I think we we're about 23, 24 at this point. Well, I am anyway. Um, and don't have a house or anything. So not ready to have kids. So we can't really mm-hmm. try to have them but knowing I'm going to lose the fertility. Um, but, yeah, so then I went and got some sperm count checks to find out where I was at, what my baseline was. I put that off a bit because low testosterone can often be linked to low sperm count, and it was kind of yeah. that, like, uh, Schrodinger's cat of, oh, if we don't know, then it might be <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that, that was a bit scary as well. But thankfully they came back and they were all normal. They are like, towards the high normal, which was, like, awesome uh and then it was okay what can we do with that and then i started looking into freezing sperm as far as i'm aware back then anyway there was no public option for that it was just Mm -hmm. literally you had to do it privately and at this point i'm studying teaching as well so i'm just a uni student no money trying to figure it out Mm -hmm. um but yeah we're just pretty i think just bumped up the credit card or the overdraft something I can't remember exactly how we paid for it but uh, yeah. there's a company in Hamilton called Fertility Associates that I think they handle all sorts of fertility issues mainly women based though um, yeah. but they have cryo facilities to store men's sperm so then I went over there I had, you have to book it all in and be referred as well and that it's like it's not easy you can't just go on and say hey I'd like to freeze my sperm it's mm. like you've got to go see one person and then they approve you to go to the next one and then you finally get to go there to freeze it. So, yeah, all of these things take ages and they're not super fun. But, yeah, we went into this Fertility Associates and that's quite funny. They've got a room with, like, I don't know if this is too much information, but, um, <laughs> like, old school 80s porn magazines and uh, you know yeah. these people outside <laughs> waiting to grab your specimen and yeah. freeze it straight away. So it's a very... Funny, uh, funny environment to be in. Mm. But anyway, I managed to um, freeze the swimmers and put them away. And I think it ended up being something like 18 units, which essentially works out as 18 chances to have a baby um, yeah. in that sense. And then I do remember when I looked in, and again, this might have changed because this is about four or five years ago. But at the time, if you'd been trying to have a baby for five years, then you could qualify for one cycle of IVF for free. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you had to pay. And each IVF treatment at that time was $10,000. So crazy high. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So that was like, okay. But it sounded like because of uh, me being diagnosed clinically infertile we got basically that we qualified for that first one straight away and we might have been able to get a second one Mm. so it was like okay we we have something now there's an option once we're in a better place we'll give that a shot and we'll try that and it was yeah a little uneasy and then okay we might not have kids and in an easy way in a natural way but maybe it'll work out uh and then from there i started the actual testosterone injections which started out i'm like terrified of needles as well so to find out that you've got to inject it all the time is like Mm. another reason why i was putting it off Mm. um and one of the things is once you start testosterone replacement it's basically for life because if you stop the injections one the testes have already shut down so they're saying I'm, I'm not making testosterone, so you'll have none at all for a while. Then they will kick back into gear, but in most cases, they'll be even worse than they were before you started treatment. So mm-hmm. I'd have even less. Um, so yeah, it was pretty. It was a big thing of like, oh my gosh, like, am I ready to inject myself for the rest of my life? You know, it's mm-hmm. um, yeah, so all sorts of stuff in that regard as well playing into it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, started treatment, 
starts off with an injection every two weeks, then they check your levels. It ended up that I inject three times a week, which isn't fun, but you end up just getting used to it. Um, But within about three months, I had like energy back, libido back, feeling good, feeling like a teenager almost. Like it was to go from so low to just back to normal feels amazing. It's it's that thing of um, it, it ended up plateauing and just feeling, you know, day-to-day life. But, yeah, yeah, I remember as it all came back in, I was feeling fantastic. Awesome. So glad I did this. And then at around the third or fourth month, I thought, okay, I'll go do a sperm count check again to see how much it had dropped because I figure, Mm -hmm. you know, within 12 months it's going to go away more than likely, but I might still have something. Um, And then it came back and there was just no sperm detected at all, completely, Mm. completely gone. yeah, so, oh, sorry, I think I jumped ahead because I did already mention okay. that. But, yeah, clinically infertile from here, I should say. Um, yeah, so from there I found out I've got nothing at all. And then this might be TMI again, but I'll, I'll be as candid as possible. So mm-hmm. during that time, Charlie and I, for the next, so this is 2018, I started treatment. For the yeah. next two and a bit years, we had unprotected sex with no contraception contraception whatsoever mm. and not a single pregnancy scare not a yeah. not a worry at all I only did I think maybe one more sperm count after that because it was sort of you know depressing to know you've got nothing and it was the same thing of mm. just nothing detected um yeah. so yeah that that was that was quite a blow to know like okay it's it's never gonna happen yeah. naturally while I'm on yeah. the treatment. that path is gone now we're going to have to take the, the frozen sperm path and try all that, which was, um, yeah, I mean, you know, some tears and all that kind of stuff going yeah. on, knowing yeah. that it goes that way. Um, and were you paying yeah, to keep your sperm frozen with fertility associates, or how does that work? Yeah, yeah, and I'm still paying now just to yeah. know they're around. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's not terrible, but it's a, I think it's about 180 every six months to keep them frozen. Okay. So, yeah. yeah, just another ongoing cost yeah, while you're a yeah, student sure. trying to pay for it all. Yeah. And mentally, how were you feeling? You know, like obviously you said, you know, you were upset um, knowing that that's sort of the point that you'd got to. But what what about from like a mental health perspective? How were you managing those feelings? And like, did you notice any hormonal sort of mental health um, changes from your fertility drugs or yeah what was your experience with all of that yeah cool i might jump into the fertility drugs in a bit because they do another thing on top um but yeah yeah for me it was a a funny conflict of i feel like physically the best i've felt possibly in my life because the hormones are all optimized i have this like newfound energy kind of like zest for life you know while at the same time knowing that us having kids is not going to be an easy path. Mm. So it's this weird, um, I think for the most part, because I was still studying and we were living at my parents' house at the time, I'm pretty sure. It was like, okay, kids are down the track. Push that to the side. This is terrible and not something I would recommend. But, Mm. you know, that's sort of like, that's a problem for later. Enjoy the now. Mm. And that kind of happened. But then as, you know, your friends and stuff start having kids and talking about kids, Mm. it brings that convo up again. And I'm sure a lot of people have been through that. Um, I know because I've had since quite a few friends more on the female side having fertility issues. Mm. I so get it. Like, it's so tough when you hear people talk about them trying or like the worst one is when people talk about, oh, we weren't even trying. And it just Mm. happened. And like... I, I'm sure anyone that's had fertility issues can relate. That's like a little little dagger <laughs> of like, yeah. oh, you're just talking about how easy it is when we yeah. know it's not going to be. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, from there that, that kind of um, got me, well, one, with the newfound energy and two, of just wanting to problem solve. I started, I uh, pretty much became obsessed with hormones in fertility, <laughs> particularly male. Like I was just every night. Just read. Yeah. I'd be reading clinical trials and stuff on fertility drugs. <laughs> I, I probably went too deep, you know. I, I went real yeah. deep into it. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, I started looking at because testosterone replacement. Obviously, it's not just a New Zealand thing; it's across the mm. world. Um, and then, America, private healthcare might not be the best thing, but they have a lot of specialists 
and that regard. And they're way ahead of us for any of this kind of replacement stuff. And they treat male fertility specifically. So then I started looking, how, how are they doing it? What are they doing? And then comparing it to New Zealand, same mm-hmm. with UK, they're ahead of us, but America's definitely ahead more. Um, yeah, and then I started looking, yeah, what New Zealand does, what our options are, and pretty much at the time when I was looking, which was between 2018 to 2020, it might have changed, um, all the fertility drugs in New Zealand were all aimed at women, mm-hmm. and the idea is just to get women's fertility so high that if a man has a low sperm count, you can just use IUI or IVF, and sure. the woman's fertility will be so high it will take one of those sperm out of you know the tiny amount that they have. Yeah. Obviously, for our situation, I had none, so that's mm. not going to work. So then, yeah, then I started looking more and more, what are they doing? And then in the UK and the USA, they use a drug called human chorionic gonadotropin, or HCG for short, uh, not really related to there was a HCG diet craze years back. Um, it's like a similar term, but yeah, different different drug. This is one that you mm. have to inject into your stomach. Um, and it's a, very strangely, it comes from um, pregnant women's urine and they powder it and somehow that makes it a fertility drug. I don't wow. know the full way that works, but mm. basically it makes a thing called luteinizing hormone. Um, it's the same thing they do when you do a pregnancy test. It's testing for HCG or luteinizing hormone because when you're pregnant, you excrete a lot of it. Um, mm. But yeah, for some reason, that gives both men and women fertility. Yeah, uh, right. And then, then I started, yeah, like I said, going into all these sort of studies and trials. And then I found one fairly comprehensive study. It was about 500 people um, of, of 500 males on hormone replacement. And 80% of them had regained their fertility within 18 months of regular HCG Mm. injections. So I was like, okay, there's something out there, you know, there is something. And then um, for people that aren't on hormone replacement, I'll say too, there's quite a few studies that show HCG doubles the sperm count of men just naturally. But the downside of that for for anyone that was doing it naturally, because there's also a bunch of stuff out there of guys just trying to get their sperm count up is that um, when you take HCG, it does a very similar thing to the testosterone injections where because you're putting this luteinizing hormone in, the brain is like, oh, we already have that. I I should probably stop making testosterone then Mm because these two are so linked. So a a guy that isn't on replacement therapy and starts taking HCG, his uh, his fertility will will spike, but his testosterone will progressively start dropping. So right. his natural testosterone, I, sh- I should say. So yeah, there's um there's always a catch with everything, right? But that's how it goes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then I started trying to get this drug in New Zealand, but it is only prescribed for women. There's no in all our uh, guidelines. There's nothing about using it on men. So mm-hmm. I pretty much made like a little I've, I've still got it now this little binder of studies and all the evidence <laughs> how they do it overseas and I tried by GP and then I tried referrals of specialists and they all said no 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 and then I started trying private specialists and I think it took me three different specialists before I managed to um actually get one that would prescribe it to me and again I'm still a student at this point Mm. so money wise I mean I spent thousands trying to get this all sorted it was it was Why a were they <laughs> but, um, like was the reason just because we don't do it in New Zealand or like what was the yeah, so, so like um when you go on like something like NZ formulary which tells oh. you about all the drugs in New Zealand there's clear guidelines on when you can prescribe a drug and when you can't in New Zealand and mm-hmm. for the most part like HCG isn't even used by your day-to-day doctor GP yeah. practice um and they don't even really know what it is. The only mm-hmm. ones that would know would be like a fertility clinic mm-hmm. that deals with that. But then they only know it from their guidelines, which is to use it on women. So yeah. you're not going to get like any sort of specialist or doctor that sees it, doesn't know mm-hmm. it that well, and then goes and checks and it says it's just for women. They're like, why would I give a man a woman drug? I wouldn't mm-hmm. do that, you know? And because there's no one, I, I thankfully managed to find someone that, just had it as a passion project and was just following it out of interest. Um, yeah. And then he he knew about it. I brought in my stuff and he was like, yep, yeah, we'll try it out. And I was kind of like a guinea pig in that sense. So I don't know how many people in New Zealand have it prescribed. I mean, mm. I'm totally based and I only tried 
Tauranga and Waikato-based doctors. So yeah. in Auckland, I think there's probably some better options just from mm. the population. Um, yeah. And I, I know from talking to others now that there's more options in Wellington for sure. So I think yeah. the big cities, maybe it's more common, but mm. and you're sort of, yeah, Tauranga, waikato base, not so much, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I managed to get get it prescribed, which was awesome. But then it was um, a new like kind of problem of so oh, again, maybe too much detail, maybe not. The testosterone injections you just do into their intramuscular, which is like you can do it into the side of your arm, mm-hmm. you can do it into your leg, your butt cheek, whatever. You don't really feel it. It's um, not that bad. Uh, HCG is a subcutaneous injection. So into the stomach, so you have to pinch the stomach fat mm-hmm. and inject that way, kind of like a diabetic, um, but it's quite cold and stingy, so you, you feel it when it goes in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and again, for me, so I'm that was scared of needles in the past, <laughs> and I'm still a bit funny about injecting. For some reason, that injecting into the stomach, the whole time I was on HCG, it was a mission. Like, I had to take it mm-hmm. every 48 hours, and I would have to, like, psych myself up <laughs> to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, which is just, you know, one of those things again. But, yeah, from there we started kind of a plan of I'd try the HCG while still on my testosterone replacement for 12 months and see if it worked. Mm-hmm. And then if it didn't, I would come off the testosterone but stay on the HCG. So I would have no testosterone and feel awful, but then the HCG would be able to work a bit stronger mm-hmm. in that sense because it's not fighting for the same kind of receptors that the testosterone is um already covering yeah so yeah it was, it was kind of like okay we'll try this for 12 months and if not i'll come off the testosterone but then knowing that coming off the testosterone would make me you know very depressed and not happy mm-hmm. um so i was like oh gosh that's not gonna be a good time we'll just see how this goes um yeah then i started the hcg and then do you want to ask that question now about how it made me feel and that sort of stuff yeah sure yeah Cool. And do you want to take us through how how that um, impacted or if it had any impact on you mentally? Like I know quite often when I've had mums on the podcast who have talked about hormone um, changes through fertility processes, they've experienced some pretty serious side effects from a mental health perspective. So do you want to talk us through if you had any of those impacts? Um, Yeah, or very similar for me. The Mm. first three months I actually thought, I wasn't going to be able to take it because um, like, oh, if I go into sort of the um, the science part of it without being too boring about it. Um, so it's sending this thing called luteinizing hormone to the testes, which is now making sperm or stimulating that. But at the same time, that luteinizing hormone is doing a thing called aromatization, which mm. basically means that once it's done its job, it turns into estrogen. So it's sending a signal to say, hey, testes, work. And it's the same thing for the ovaries. Hey, ovaries, work, produce more eggs. But then after that, it basically burns out and turns into estrogen. And so now, and I'm sure that's probably why uh, women that go on the drug have very similar thing. You have Mm -hmm. a spike of estrogen, which is like uh, a natural process for women is like uh, associated to PMS, right? You have a uh, a spike of estrogen and then you get PMS symptoms. And then for guys... It's like I've never had, you know, I've been low testosterone and low estrogen my whole time because I had the low test. And now I'm getting like huge dumps of estrogen mm. for the first time in my life. So I was getting literally, I remember um, there was a lotto ad on at the time and it was like uh, the dad's talking at the wedding and it turns out at the end the dad has died um, and he's just saying it over like a video. Mm. And I remember watching that and every time it came on, just like bawling, oh, oh, no. you know, just complete. But then flipping as well to like grumpy, just like couldn't, yeah. could not control my, like my feelings. I related yeah. so hard with Charlie, my wife, for like the first time ever I'd really walked in the shoes of like, oh man, you cannot control this, can you? Like, <laughs> like I couldn't, no matter what I try, like try meditating, try exercising, just couldn't regulate myself, you know? You just yeah. feel, I don't know, someone will say something and I'll just feel snappy and like, oh, and then someone yeah. else will do something and I'm like, 
why did they do that? What do, do they not like me anymore? Like it was just yeah. such a, yeah, just all over the show for yeah, a, a good three months. And yeah, I, I remember talking to Chara and being like, I, I don't know if I can handle this, babe. Like it's, I was in my final year of teaching at this point as well as studying teaching and like trying to deal with a bunch of intermediate kids because I was doing an intermediate <laughs> practicum. And you know, like intermediate kids are like rough at the at the best yeah. of times. They know how to like throw daggers. And when you're like highly hormonal like that, it was mm. just like, oh, it's so so difficult. Um, yeah. So that, that I guess in that regard, yeah, mental health was definitely like I think I'm a pretty like reflective guy, and I try and yeah. Yeah, meditate and and do stuff. And I I could not get a rain on it, and it was <laughs> just kind of spiraling. But then thankfully, around the sort of three month point I think it had just sort of leveled itself out I'm not sure maybe my body was like oh this is too much estrogen Mm. let's turn this down a bit and stop letting it float around so much but however there are there are drugs out there you can take that um basically destroy estrogen um yeah just delete it but that's a risky endeavor as well and I was adding another medication in so I was just trying to like grin and bear it and go through it um yeah but yeah thankfully it got better and then in late December, so it must have been just about about just over that three months, I went and did a sperm count again just to see, hey, has it done anything? Has it not? Mm. Um, the range for sperm count is huge. So it's um, 50 million is fertile, but to the low, the lowest level, and 300 million is like very fertile. If you're under 50 million, it's pretty much it's highly improbable that you'll be able to conceive naturally. But yeah. I was com- coming from the point of zero, <laughs> not even one. So, you know, anything would be great. Um, and then, yeah, in December, I get the sperm count back and there's one million sperm. So, I mean, it sounds good, but, yeah, when you think of that range, I'm still 49 million away from being fertile. But there was something and it was like, yeah, aha, like all my, yeah. all my research was right. It is possible because, mm. yeah, pretty much all the doctors I talked to had said, like, no, no, when you're on testosterone, you're infertile. That's it. Mm. You know, like, don't, you've accepted that. That was the terms, you know, and that's part of the agreement. Um, So yeah, just that was like, okay, cool. There's there's something here that we can work with. Um, Yeah, which was awesome. And then jumping down the track a bit more, I did another check in February. Um, So about another three months, I guess. It's probably about five, six months of HCG at this point. And my count was now 40 million. So still out of that fertility thing, but it's, it's trending yeah. up, you know, and it's, yeah, it's amazing. Happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was cool. So then I went back to my, the doctor or specialist that prescribed me it and said, can I increase the dose? Um, since it's obviously working, can I have more? So then it became higher dose still on that regular schedule of every 48 hours and just keep it yeah. going. Um, and then that did that same thing of, um, spiking estrogen again and going through that that buzz again mm. but you know now now it was like this is worth it you know this is something's <laughs> happening here um and at the same time we just got a kiwi build house approved it, it wasn't oh, yeah. gonna be built for like another year but it was like my one of my things was always i wanted a house before we really like tried mm. to have kids um and suddenly that had happened so it was like okay cool a year's time, I should hopefully be fertile. We'll have a house, wicked. Um, and then from there, now we kind of enter our actual pregnancy journey. Sorry, that was a long tangent to get there. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we're there then. And then, um, yeah, so from there, Charlie started tracking her ovulation through the, um, I think it's Flow, Flow app or yep, something like that. Yeah. Yep. And um, getting like the testing sticks and stuff like that um, just to try and you know, find out when the windows were. And then mm. I, I remember, you know, you get, what is it, like two days either side or something like that. So it's yeah. pretty much get down to business as much as you can <laughs> yeah. Um, and, yeah, make it happen. Um, yeah, so, yeah, she was tracking ovulation, all that sort of stuff. And then um, about a month after that 40 million test, so we're still thinking maybe nine months down the track mm. it could happen. Um, then she shows me, a positive pregnancy test. She's like, <laughs> oh my God. And I remember actually because I was on school camp. At this point, I'm a teacher now. And I'm on my first proper school camp. And we're in a Hopi. And 
you probably can't remember, but there was a big earthquake and there was a tsunami warning. And right. so, like, we all had to, like, go up on this hill high up and stuff. And and then Char messages me and says, uh, we need to have a talk or something like that. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I've got all these, like, kids. We're, like, in lockdown. What's up? What's wrong? And she's like, no, it has to be in person. And I was like, oh, gosh, what have I done? Like, you know, what yeah. have, what's happened? I didn't even, to, I'll be honest, it didn't even cross my mind that it would be, um, that, that's yeah. how far removed it still was that it was like, yeah, oh, yeah. baby. And then, yeah, and then poor Char had to spend, I don't think I was home until late that night because, yeah, we had to get all the kids home to their parents and stuff. So she had to spend that whole day just sitting on that, mm-hmm. <laughs> sitting on that, yeah, big whammy of things. Yeah. Um, yeah, but then, then so sorry, and, and instead of both of us being like, overjoyed or even relieved instead it was like is this real is it Mm. actual or is it a trick because like i said the the drug that i'm taking hcg is the exact same drug that pregnancy hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Test for, or the Mm. same hormone, I should say, not drug. And so they're like, oh, what if it's somehow like crossed over and so she's getting some of it now and so she's oh, getting false yeah, positives yeah, yeah I, we i think about 20 pregnancy tests to be honest with you it was like <laughs> is it real is it i don't know and blood tests and everything and then even the first few blood tests until we saw the hcg was rising hmm. within her blood we didn't really believe it and then even like uh the 12 week scan i think this sounds terrible but we, we were kind of like I'd had no sperm and then the sperm would come back, but they're like the first batch really, you know, of sperm back. Mm. And it was like, are these actually viable sperm? You know, like they've they've been off because at that point I'd been shut down for three years. And so we didn't want to get our hopes up because it was like, oh, is this, is this real? Is it not? Yeah, Yeah, it was, yeah, it was great. And like at this point it's been, I think four or five years of like no contraception. Yeah. So it was just a real, um, a tricky one of not knowing mm-hmm. for sure. And I don't think it was until maybe the second scan. What's the scan where you find out the, well, we can find out the gender of the baby. Is that like it's 16 usually weeks, 20, 20 weeks? Yeah. 20 weeks. Yeah. So it wasn't until that scan that we really thought, okay, this is happening. Like we've mm-hmm. been actually prepared. Like it took that long. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. For it to happen, which is, is crazy. But yeah, that was kind of just our, experience which is why it's just um, amazing isn't it that like that you conceived a baby after like not expecting to maybe ever be able to but then way earlier than you thought you might on this drug it's just yeah it's amazing yeah and and i, I have to like put a caveat there of i don't think that's like the typical situation yeah, i must yeah, have just yeah. responded to it really well because yeah in my head i was thinking this won't work for 12 to 18 mm-hmm. months if it works at all and then all up, I think it was like five months, maybe six yeah. of taking yeah. it and being fertile again, which was so crazy. Cool. But yeah, it was such a relief, which was awesome. So in terms of uh, Charlie's pregnancy, do you want to talk us through just like sort of high level around how she was feeling and what you guys were sort of thinking about getting close to birth? And um, yeah, what was your sort of experience through pregnancy? Yeah, cool. She's given me a couple little notes as well so that I don't um, <laughs> veer off it. too much. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like I said, we were kind of um, in disbelief until that 20-week scan. Mm. I don't think we even told anybody because it was like, oh. And, yeah, for Char, it was the same kind of thing of, like, oh, being really conflicted about it and not knowing mm. how to feel. Um, she got quite bad morning sickness for the first, I think, Hold on, I'll check my notes. 16 weeks. She said first 16 weeks yeah. was pretty bad. Um, pretty bad morning, like vomiting in the morning and throughout the day, quite bad at night. Not having the best time. Um, mm. but then there was the there was a lockdown at some point in that year. So that was really good where we got to actually 
spend some time together and really mm. like um, process it. And that was after the 20 week, we knew we we're having a, a little girl. It was really cool. It was like, okay, awesome. Um, and yeah, for the most part, pregnancy for her was pretty, pretty positive. Um, we did antenatal class. We did a uh, delivered workshop, uh, retachment. I started listening to your podcast. Charlie mm-hmm. had already been listening. I hadn't really been listening. Um, I admit until I knew about it. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then and then your dad series, which I said to you earlier, was was awesome. As um, yeah, cool for me. Yeah, I thought that was so cool just to have a, a dad aspect to it. Mm. Um, and then Char started maternity leave at thirty six weeks. Um, oh, also she's a nurse, and this is during all the COVID <laughs> time as well. So that, oh, that wow, was a bit yeah. of a stressy uh, stressy thing of mm. just being. Yeah, it was, it was. She's pretty happy to get out of the hospital. When she did, COVID hadn't fully gone nuts in Tauranga at that point. It was just like mm. on the edge. I think it was in Caddy Caddy and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and Bub's Delilah was measuring quite big throughout. She was always sort of above, but always looked good and healthy, which, yeah, as I said, we were always a little anxious. It was it was awesome mm. to know that. Um, yeah, and then got to the due date, but nothing happened so got to 40 (laughs) weeks and no contractions or anything um there was a couple like baby Braxton's you know I was a sort of not sure and then at 40 weeks then Char started doing all the stuff like eating dates rose leaf tea (laughs) um lots of that curb walking on the side um oh yeah we also we finally the, the house I talked about earlier was built and we moved in as she started maternity leave, so <laughs> poor Char's like thirty six weeks pregnant, can barely oh, walk no, around, <laughs> and she's she's like a really um likes things in certain places, likes to be yeah. really involved, and get trying to lift stuff, and it's like Char, stop! <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> um, yeah, yes, yeah, so that was just another aspect to it. Um, and then at forty one weeks, still nothing really. Um, and then it's looking more and more like it's going to be induction. And Chai worked at the birthing center in Tauranga, uh, mm-hmm. where they had first set up as a healthcare assistant and was always kind of like hoping to go there, you know, ideally. Yeah, and yeah. our midwife, who was great, you know, shout out to our midwife as well. She was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, Michelle, fantastic. Um, but yeah, she booked us all in at the birthing center and everything. And then with Char working at the hospital as well as a nurse it was like she wasn't super keen to then give birth at her workplace if you know what I mean um that kind of vibe she didn't work in uh maternity but yeah she was so that was sort of a dreaded thing and then from there then it was really like smashing back the rose leaf tea tried acupuncture (laughs) um all that kind of stuff like really didn't want to be induced if she could help it Hmm. um and then I think it was like 41 weeks and two days. She started having contractions. It all seemed like it was happening. I took work off and like as a teacher for guys, you can take two weeks unpaid. I don't, I think maybe you can take two weeks unpaid with other jobs. I'm not sure. Mm. Um, Yeah. So then I started that and then it turned out to be a false start and she wasn't going into labor. And then my school was like, are you just trying to take time off? You know, like they were like, it was quite a like, oh, I don't know. But then it was constantly like, is it happening? Is it not? So I ended yeah. up just like kind of making a case to my school to be like, hey, can I just start the two weeks now? Because, you know, we never know. It might happen, might not. Um, and then, oh, sorry, at the same time, Chad gone for two stretch and sweeps and mm-hmm. one at 41 weeks, the midwife said like, she could feel her head or something good. The but like <laughs> Delilah was just about there um, and be ready for the like next 48 hours. Mm. And then it hadn't happened. And then went for another stretch and sweep. And then Delilah had moved back up and wasn't like even, it was like a failed stretch and sweep. So at this point, like it was such a funny thing because from about 36 weeks on, it was constantly like this ticking mm. time bomb of kind of excitement. And then past 40 weeks it starts to become like quite an anxiety inducing thing of like, yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. can it just happen? And like poor yeah. Char as well at, you know, at this point she's 41 and a half weeks pregnant, you know, just getting around is not a great time. Mm-hmm. She is well over being pregnant. Um, yeah. So it, it was getting quite, um, yeah, disheartening. And then 
induction was booked for hold on, I'll double check for Thursday. And then on Tuesday night we started to like be like, okay, induction's happening. Birthing center's over. That's okay. Let's start preparing. And then as uh, it's almost as if doing that made Char relax, made Delilah yeah, relax. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever happened that, that night at about, um, I think it was about 8 p.m., we're just like chilling out, watching a movie. Um, and then Char's waters broke. And we brought like the special mattress protective thing <laughs> because we were like, oh, maybe it'll happen. And then it was so minor so tiny that she was like i don't was i think my water's broke but it doesn't seem like enough i, I don't <laughs> think it is and then pretty much immediately contractions started which was really cool and they were about 10 minutes apart um straight away which was which was cool but then again because we'd had this false start before that seemed mm. real it was like oh is, is it or is it not um, so then we just put on our like go-to show, Shits Creek, chuck that one on, um, just turned all the lights off in the lounge, put on some candles and then kind of just chilled out, um, as the contractions got closer and closer. And then by midnight it was on, like they were getting closer for sure. I called up the midwife and she was like, yep. Um, and then just after midnight, we started to head to the birthing center and Charles stoked because you know we're going to go to the birthing center which is awesome um but classic there's like a huge storm uh that night so even just getting like transferring the birthing bags and stuff over (laughs) you're just covered in rain pouring down um and then trying to drive out there at like one in the morning at 12 30 in heavy rain and transfer everything up but it was all good we got in the birthing center Midwife was happy as, it's progressing, it's going well. Um, I think Char was like three to four centimetres dilated when we got there. Um, and contractions like two minutes apart, which is cool. We set up a little candle, LED candles, not real candles. Um, and yeah, got everything ready. But then from there, it pretty much the contractions kept getting closer and closer. Um, and it went till probably about 4 a.m., to the point where Char was like exhausted. I think as a dad too, that was something I hadn't expected. It's like, I don't know, you kind of think, or maybe I was naive. I sort of thought of labor as this like really nice bonding thing. When, from my perspective anyway, and I'll, I'll get to it soon, there was a couple of issues, so maybe this was why. But from my perspective, it's, it's awful seeing like someone you mm. love just being tortured and like, you know, just like going through so much pain and feeling so yeah. sick and like just wishing for like it to end or some pain relief or anything. Um, for those that don't know birthing center, they offer gas. And I think at 4am she started the gas, but that's, that's all they do. And Charlotte always wanted to go that way, but yeah, then it is getting um, pretty, pretty rough. Bubs was all good this whole time. Um, midwife kept doing scans and stuff and it was all good. Um, but then Char's breathing rate had started to like slow down or her oxygen rate mm-hmm. was starting to drop. And then that was when the midwife was like, I think I think we need to go to the hospital. Um, and then Char was originally, she was like, no, 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 no. And then, yeah, about, I think it was about 5 a.m. Um, she was like, yep. Yeah. Like, like the contractions were like back to back at this point. Um, yeah. And, oh, yeah, and the midwife had said, too, that the um, around five, the bubs had, like, um, I think it's called molding on her head um, mm-hmm. from poor positioning. Uh, but her heart rate was still all good and stuff, so that was all good. Um, but, yeah, around five, decided to go to the hospital. So because it wasn't, like, a urgent thing, we just take our car and the midwife follows in her car. Um, so, yeah, I'm just driving along with Char going through almost constant contractions at this point and you can't bring the gas with you either that she got for the last hour so it's even worse yeah um yeah and then we get to the hospital maybe just before six but COVID at this point is like in Tauranga and the hospital is set up like this long queue where you have to have your Mm. temperature checked and all this stuff and I yeah we pull I pull up right in like sort of the emergency part 
And then we try and go in and there's a line of people and I'm like, no way. Like we're not. So I try and just, you know, get past the people and then these security guards like run in the way to try and block us. And I'm like, bro, like she's look at her. Like she's in labor. I kind of, I exaggerated a bit and was like, the baby could come any minute. We need to get in there. Um, and then thankfully like, the, the two dudes that tried to block me, they were, like, not having a bar of it. But then this other guy who was, like, sort of a security boss, he came out and he was like, what are you two doing? Like, get out of it. And let her in. Yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh, yeah. I think he grabbed a wheelchair for a legend. I don't even know his name, but thank God <laughs> he did that. Um, but then, yeah, we got up to the, is it called maternity ward? Delivery yeah, yeah. Ward? Maternity ward? Um, yeah, we got up to the delivery ward, but I, I can't remember the exact reason but anyway they were completely like booked out like every room was full um and so then they had to try and quickly set up like a a room that wasn't normally for delivery Mm. for delivery so then we had to just wait while again char's having contractions and like midwife had called up and stuff beforehand but i think it Mm -hmm. just still wasn't ready in time so yeah they're getting this like it wasn't a storage room, but it was definitely like an older <laughs> room that wasn't normally yeah. for it already. And yeah, poor Charles going through it. And then um, at this point, Charles like, yeah, I want an epidural. Like, oh, yeah, the, the pain is way too much. Um, she, she was originally not keen to do that. But as yeah, she's just knackered at this point, been laboring yeah. for like, yeah. I don't know, 10 hours or yeah. something like that. Um, um, or maybe close to 12 hours at this point. Um yeah, and then they have to go, like, before you can get an epidural, they take your blood and stuff and check it's all kosher, all good. Um, but then because the ward was completely booked out, and I think there was, like, two or three other mums in labour at the same time, the anaesthetist is, like, got a two-hour wait or a two-and-a-half-hour wait. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, like, he can't, he's, he's not available. And the bloods as well, they were taking longer to be processed because, again, the hospital was flat out. Mm. So all up, yeah, I think we, we got to the hospital at 6, but Char didn't actually get the epidural till 9.30, so like three and a half mm. hours of yeah. just waiting and going through. And and then by the time they had actually come, she was nine centimetres dilated, I think. So it was yeah. like <laughs> almost time to go. Yeah, um, yeah, the drive over had actually sped things up because when we left the birthing centre, Char was only four centimetres, I think. Mm-hmm. And then when we got to the hospital and actually in that room, which was maybe like 7.38, she was eight centimetres. So that process of going over, mm. getting past the security guards and all that stuff had doubled the dilation, which was great. Um, but, yeah, Char's just done. And then at 9.30, I think it was, they they actually placed the epidural, which was good. Um, and then it was kind of funny as she was pretty much like that char could rest for a bit before she needed to push um and the pain had massively gone down and then it was almost like scheduling the birth part of it mm-hmm. it's a funny thing um because delata was sweet she was all healthy heartbeat and stuff so we had like this weird 45 minute break mm. which i just like kind of rested for a little bit and i just sort of like yarned with her i think i i had oh i was smashing like these little boss coffee cans throughout <laughs> and bust, busting to pee and stuff. So when did that, had something to eat. You know, it was just this weird gap. It was yeah. like a calm before the storm and between storms. Um, but, yeah, then at about 11, I think, she started to push. And then at 12 on the dot, like exactly 12, um, Delilah came out, but she had the cord was wrapped around her neck oh, and okay. she had like really tight shoulders. It wasn't a shoulder dystocia, but it was um, like they didn't have to do maneuvering. But, yeah, so she came out and I, I think it was flat was the term. So she, uh-huh. she came out flat. Um, and even though her heart rate was sweet the whole time, something to do with during the pushing stage had caused some sort of issue. But, yeah, so she came out and not breathing and needed resus. So I couldn't do skin to skin or any other cord clamping kind of thing. Um, and it was such a, a weird experience because, like, you're so happy to see your baby come out, and then they press a button basically instantly, and like four nurses come in, a couple doctors come in. I think there's about seven or eight people, and you're like, oh my god, what's wrong? What's wrong? You know? And then Char's looking at me after going through this ordeal, like, what's happening? And they take her straight over to the um, sort of recess bed thing to the side, 
and um, her heart rate her heart rate's still okay, but there's no oxygen. She's completely pale. Um, and then they put a mask on her to give oxygen, but she's not breathing. Um, and later find out her lungs are like completely filled with mucus. Oh, wow. um, yeah, yeah. And then Char's looking at me like, is it all good? And I'm like, it's okay, it's okay. Like, because the mm. oxygen mask is on and, you, you know, you're trying to be reassuring. And then yeah. they go to use like the suction device thing to pull the mucus out. Um, but it doesn't work. It's, it's, there's no pressure. It doesn't work at all. Um, and then they press another button and more people come in and they're just trying to like get it out of her, the, the mucus. Mm. But yeah, there's no suction, which must have been because, you know, they had to quickly set up this room. Um, but yeah, so again, and now Charles going through like the afterbirth and stuff while all this is happening. Um, and I, I was like, oh my God, I remember just praying, please don't like, mm. please don't give me my, oh, I'll get, get a bit emotional here <laughs> to say it. Um, yeah, just to think that you like, you get your bubs and then she's taken away straight yeah. away. Oh, okay. yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, it was just, oh my gosh. And then it was like, okay, what can I do? And then so I just looked at the actual machine and followed the suction cord. And then I followed it like underneath, down under sort of the bench and where the suction goes into it wasn't like flicked to the on position. So I was like, Hey guys, can I flick this? And then they're like, try it. And I flicked it. Boom. Suction. But it's been six minutes, six minutes at this point of no breathing. Like, no, the oxygen is going in, but she hasn't taken a breath. Mm. Um, Yeah. And I mean, yeah, like like I was saying, like at at the five minute point when she's not breathing, you're like, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. It's, it's heavy. Um, but yeah, thankfully then, yeah, six minutes, but she, the suction works. They get the mucus out. She takes her first breath, which is awesome. Um, and then she starts breathing. Cool, wicked, amazing. They put her on char very briefly, just for a little quick contact. But then they're like, we need to go to Skaboo to get a more powerful suction um, to take out because the mucus is still like in her lungs and stuff. And so then, yeah, we get... Take all chai to obviously stay. So then I go with Delilah. We go over to Skaboo and then they've got like this vacuum machine thing with a super powerful suction. And poor poor little Lila, like her first real experience is having this thing shoved down her nose and then all mm. the way down her throat while she's crying and it's just trying to suck the stuff out. But they finally get this like big kind of marble lump of mucus out. And then after that, She's okay. So then they do um, skin to skin with Char properly and everything. Yeah. Okay. Like, wow, well, man, what an ordeal. But oh, thank thank goodness we got past everything. But then um, only like a hour later, they come back and say her blood markers show. I think it was like the, the lactate was high or something. But anyway, right. it meant that yeah. she had some sort of infection, um, and they needed a blaster with like quite powerful antibiotics, antibiotics two different yeah, types. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, and then, yeah, we, we thought initially, naively, we're like, oh, we'll still get to go back to the birthing centre because you can go <laughs> back, you know, and we'll do that. Yeah. But no, it ended up being, I think it's three nights at the hospital with Lila and antibiotics because it wasn't getting better. Um, and then thankfully after two days, it, it started to get better, which was really cool. But again, with the COVID situation, parents were like limited you couldn't stay overnight or anything like that uh, um yeah yeah I, I remember I like just negotiated with one of the nurses that if I like leave at midnight I think you're meant to leave at eight if I just like don't go out don't go to the bathroom or anything can I stay and she was like hey, yeah if no one sees you it's all good so yeah I got to stay at least that first night till midnight which was um yeah. was cool but yeah after that then the nurse changed and it was a much more strict South African nurse that wasn't keen on that. <laughs> so I got kicked out at eight, which was a bummer. Um, but yeah, then after that, we managed to get home, which was really cool. Um, Char was able to breastfeed the first day. It, it wasn't uh, going super well, but after that, latch got better and better. Um, yeah. There was, after Lila's first jabs, at, I think it was six weeks yeah. Lila slept for ages. Like, I think she slept like six hours or something. Huge sleep after her jabs. But then Char got mastitis um, from that, from going from like constant feeds to a big gap. And we oh, were like yeah. a little naive again and not knowing. 
man, mastitis is a wild thing, eh? Like, I just, it's crazy. She went from, like, not feeling good and having, like, you know, lumps and stuff mm. to, like, these red lines going up yeah. her shoulder. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, yeah. like a poison. Yeah, it was and just, like, yeah. sweating. And, and then then Char had to go on antibiotics for, like, yeah. I don't know, two weeks or something like that. The first lot didn't do it, so she had to go on again. But then poor Lila is now getting double-dosed with antibiotics from here. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been a bit rough in that sense because we don't know if it's the antibiotics or what, but she's had real bad reflux basically the whole time. Um, and that's been a journey as well, trying to get on top mm. of the reflux, which we're on top of a bit more now. But, yeah, it's been a pretty crazy process, the whole um, yeah. the birth. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing is just this huge, crazy yeah. journey. Oh my gosh, but you're a dad, right? Like, how incredible yeah. the way that your sort of story started. And yeah, oh my gosh, it's totally. amazing. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, it really is. It's, it's crazy. It's like winning the lotto or something, you know, to think, yeah. especially when you mentally kind of write it off. You're like, no, nah, it's yeah. not happening that way. And then yeah. to not only like have it happen, but have it happen way ahead of schedule. Yeah. I'm being what I complained about, eh? I remember I was talking about people with fertility <laughs> yes, issues yeah, hating yeah. how they say it happens easy. And now I am yeah. that person. My goodness, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, but, but yeah, it's like, what a gift, you know? Like, it's, yeah. it's just crazy. So yeah, cool. it's a complicated journey, but it's, it's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And, like, I guess just before we um, – close up the episode i'd love for you to talk us through i guess your experience in terms of um becoming a dad like what's that been like for you and charlie adding a new little human to your relationship and like getting used to having her around and how do you juggle things between the two of you what does that sort of look like yeah it's really interesting eh? it's such a um such a change uh like like i said me and charlie together like over a decade so we have a real good grounding which is awesome we have great communication i genuinely like you know you hear those stories about um people whose relationship might be faulting a bit and then they're like we'll have a kid i don't know how they do that man because like (laughs) wow yeah what what a stressor being parents is like um yeah i think probably initially it was actually really hard like all that all that stuff and with the reflux um delilah would just just cry and cry for mm. hours on end. I'm sure uh, other parents that have had bubs with bad reflux know, know what it's like. It's, mm. Yeah, I, I found that that aspect was unexpected for me of I didn't realise, like, how much the prolonged crying would affect me. Like, it really mm. – um, I get, like, sweaty and stuff and all like, yeah. oh, my gosh, <laughs> like, it really – it pierces yeah. your soul. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's hard. Um but no, it's been really cool. I always wanted to be a dad, child wanted to be a mum. So, like, that's cool as I think as a dad probably, and I'm sure other dads probably feel this way too, the first, like, couple months are really hard because it's, well, it's all take and no give in mm. that sense, right? Like, like Delilah just takes <laughs> and you don't get that feedback of the smile or anything. Yes, um, yeah. Yeah, I pretty much just went into, like, sort of caregiver mode, like, I'm just going to smash the washing. I'm just going to try and keep the house tidy. Like, you know, like, what can I do from my side, especially since Char's breastfeeding? It's not like I can even get the formula ready or anything like Mm. that. Um, And because of the mastitis issue, uh, like, Char didn't want to express because she didn't want to, like, mess with anything, you know? So I was Mm. like, yeah, so that that was quite tricky. But um, I think at that three-month-ish point, man, that's cool. Like the first time you see some <laughs> smiles and you get that yeah. interactivity, like, oh my gosh, this you can't beat it. This is, this is like a drug. It's crazy. Um, far, as far as relationship parts go, it's been interesting because I left teaching. I taught for a little bit after Delilah was born and then I managed to get a work from home job that's pretty much like 95% work from home. Mm, um, cool. Still within like the education sector. But yeah, that, yeah. that was an interesting shift of now we have this baby home all the time and we're both home all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no, like it happened all at once. Uh, there's no mm. way to differentiate. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you, you can like get on each other's nerves a bit as you do when yeah. you're around each other all the time. 
Um, and then you chuck in a pandemic on top of it where <laughs> and you don't want to go out oh much. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's been yeah. a swirl of emotions in that sense. Um, yeah. But no, it's cool. I actually think that we're, me and Charlie are closer now because of it um and I, i'm sure that, that it goes in ups and downs like you know we've had the, i remember it was fingers about six or seven weeks in and um oh sorry it was the the, the day lila got her jabs and she slept for like those mm. lots of hours where me and char both together at the same time sat down and put netflix on we were <laughs> like hey how's it going <laughs> like, no. like we'd never it was always one or the other kind of taking yeah. turns and and yeah. tag teaming and it was like oh man and I think and that aspect as well like um we went out for like our first little date trip only about a month ago just to a cafe just to go get like an eggs benny mm. just us two while Lila um was with her nana and it was, it was like man like we we took it for granted just going out for a cheeky eggs benny it was like oh yeah we'll do yeah. that on Saturday <laughs> and it was it was like the most delicious eggs benny ever <laughs> you know like it's, you just appreciate stuff in a new way, yeah. which is really cool. I think, um, yeah, across the board, it's awesome. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Logan, for coming on the podcast and sharing your story with me. I think, yeah, I'm just so happy for you guys that you've got your little baby and I know that there will be other males out there and also females who find your story really interesting and maybe even relate. So I'm just super grateful that you were willing to come on the podcast and share with us. So thank you. No worries. Thanks for having me. I will actually just chuck one thing in for any um, guys that are going through the same thing of maybe those low testosterone symptoms yeah. or or if you're a partner that has heard that um, and think, hey, actually, maybe my partner has a lot of naps, a lot of libido, <laughs> anything like that. Um, me and another guy called Ian ended up setting up a little group just on Facebook called Testosterone Replacement New Zealand. Um, and, yeah, just if, if for anyone out there, I know when I was figuring all this out, it's mm. quite daunting, you know, and, and it's hard yeah, to do it yeah. alone. Um, yeah. And the same thing, people post on there with the exact same fertility issues that mm. I went through, not knowing where to get started. And, and there's a yes, whole bunch of yeah. us now that are like, hey, have you tried this? Have you done this? Yeah. What about this? You know, a lot of people just jump on to, say, testosterone replacement, and they don't even think to, like, freeze their sperm. And yeah. then it's too late down the track, you know? Yeah, so, um, yeah. yeah, I just just thought it would be good to chuck that out there just for anyone to yeah, look amazing. into yeah, I will um, make sure that I pop the link in the show notes and the um, Instagram as well because I think there'll be heaps of people interested in, in being part of that. Mm, awesome. Cool. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales. I'm sure you found it super interesting, as did I. And I do love doing these dad series episodes, so I'll definitely be bringing you more of them as I can. And I hope that you tune in to the next standard episode of Gabby Birth Tales, which will be coming out soon as well as another little bite-sized bonus coming soon too so keep your eyes peeled talk to you soon hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.